0: You can turn to Joel chapter 2 and also follow along, make some notes today. We've already talked about the fact that we need to return to Jesus. Not the woke Jesus, can I have it? Amen. amen? But the biblical, authentic Jesus who, yes, has compassion and tolerance and love. But his primary message, his first message was repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. That's where the woke crowd stops. But the authentic believer, who wants a biblical Jesus, keeps reading where he says, go and what? Sin no more. No more. Then last week we talked about uh, returning to the Word of God, the uncompromised, powerful Word of God that is inerrant, infallible, that you can count on, that you can trust as a child of God. And today I want to just encourage you to return to the church, and not just physically, but with everything inside of your heart. Why that's important. And what God will do through the church in your life. First of all, in Joel chapter 2, listen to the spirit behind this scripture, verse 15 and 16. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people. Poke somebody and tell them, gather the people. Consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says of Jesus, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus had a custom. Jesus had a habit. Jesus had a pattern of going to church. Let me just try that one more time. Jesus. Jesus had a custom, had a pattern, had a habit of going to church. Now, look at somebody and say, Jesus needed to go to church. You know. That's our example. You know, I've been a pastor a while now, and I just got to get tired of people saying, well, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, I'm this. Well, then follow his example. Do what he did. Act like he acted and follow the example he laid before. So that was his custom. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were all what? Together. Together. And supernatural things happened. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, The apostles performed... Many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's Colonnade. And basically, that was a, within the, you know eyesight of everybody in that community. You could see they came together boldly, consistently. And if you think Sunday is a burden or Wednesday is a burden, they met together how often? Every single day. That was the example they, they laid for us. Then the apostle, writing in Hebrews chapter 10, said this in verse 25, this from the King James Version, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we're going to talk about returning to the church and not forsaking ourselves. We need to understand what kind of church he's talking about. He's not talking about a placebo church. He's not talking about a powerless church. He's not talking about a religious church or a country club. He's talking about the authentic church of Jesus Christ. Look at somebody and say the uncompromised word is preached there. The spirit of God is alive there. A lot of people claim to be spirit filled, but they duct tape the Holy Ghost and throw him in the back room. Because they want a a safe place to have church. Can I tell you something? There's nothing safer than having the authentic ministry of the Holy Spirit in your midst. And you're not spirit-filled because you have lights and camera and smoke alone. You're not spirit-filled because you claim to be. You're spirit-filled because the Spirit of God is able to do what He wants to do. In the early church, the gifts were prevalent. They should be. So when we talk about church, there's a wide variety of what people think church is. We're talking about a word church. Can I have an amen? We're talking about a Holy Ghost church. We're talking about a soul-winning church where we make it hard to go to hell from Callaway County, Kentucky. Amen? Come on, say it with me. Let's make it hard to go to hell from Callaway County, Kentucky. We're talking about a praying church. All of us must learn sooner or later that every prayer, every failure is a prayer failure. So it's important to be that kind of a church, that kind of a presence. And then we need to be what I would call a serious church. I was telling my sister this story the other day, but years ago, a businessman came up to one of our members in the course of doing their their particular business. One was a physician, one was a a, a high-end pharmaceutical sales rep, and he went up to this businessman and he said, where do you go to church at? And he goes, well, I go to Hope Harbor. He goes, ooh, that's a serious church. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, the crucifixion, that's pretty serious. Resurrection, pretty serious. Second coming of Jesus, pretty serious. If anybody ought to be serious, the Christian ought to be serious. I didn't understand that comment then and I don't understand it now, but I'm glad to be part of a serious church. Hallelujah. Come on, say it. I'm part of a serious church. I'm telling you what, Western Christianity is a strange bird. Hallelujah. But want to just point out to you that there are folks that have this idea that I can have and walk as a Christian without the church. You can't do that. Listen to me. Church without a relationship with Jesus is religion. A relationship with Jesus without church is rebellion. Because the one you claim is Lord and master, you don't want to do what he tells you to do. And that's why the scripture says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? It's very important you understand this, that both are critical. I often will explain it like this. Christianity is like a train on a train track. And the one rail is your public worship life, involvement in the community of believers. And the other rail is your private devotional life with God. Either one of those rails is malfunctioning and you derail your Christian walk. Turn to somebody and tell them, I need both, public worship and private devotion. And I mean, you got people that think, well, it's all about the church. It doesn't make any difference about your personal walk. You don't need to seek the Lord, whatever the church says goes. You know, if the church makes a decree from on high, then somehow that's equal to Scripture. No, that's not true. The Word of God is the highest authority in the universe, period. But you need the fellowship, and you need to have your personal walk with God. Say so it both rails. In other words, Christianity is not a monorail. Do you want a monorail, go to Disney. Matter of fact, don't go to Disney, okay? Just don't. Till they can figure out who they are. It's not just the transgender community having a problem identifying themselves. Disney's having a problem. They have an identity crisis right now. You do what you want to do, amen? To understand church is to understand where the concept came from. You've had some teaching on the concept of Ecclesia, Uh, last time my sister was here she taught some powerful things about it. But if you want to understand who we really are, you must understand that Paul borrowed a word from the Greek culture and practice. Ecclesia was literally the concept of a political assembly of citizens in ancient Greek, in an ancient Greek state. And he used that term to describe the church being called out to come into, actually, to rule, to reign, to dominate. Say so it would be to rule, to reign, and to dominate. Say it again to rule, to reign, and to dominate. Paul used a political term. To make people understand what we were doing as Christians, and yet you have believers all over the country telling you and me, stay out of politics, it has no business in the church. That's how we started with a political term. I beg to differ, you and I need to storm every gate in civilization, lift up the banner of Jesus Christ, and do what we can. Our country's in the shape it is right now because Christians have abdicated their responsibility to be the ecclesia in this world. You have preachers say the same thing. I just preach Jesus in the gospel. Well, preach all of it. Because my Bible tells me about an Isaiah who wasn't afraid to get up in a statesman's face or a Paul or a Moses, if you remember the story of the Exodus. Our silence is a default defeat. And we can't afford to do that. So the ecclesia are, are the called out ones called into a purpose. It's the collective body of Christian believer, believers, and it also refers to the small c, or those that are local in terms of their church involvement and commitment. We're called out together to dominate, to rule, and to reign, and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We're not just here to have our little party and go to heaven one day. Amen? People are upset right now around the country because I believe, as many of you do, that Roe v. Wade's about to be overturned. Bless their hearts. That's what happens when somebody gets into high office with convictions that the laws should rule and the children should be protected. They're going nuts out there. Why? They want us silent behind the four walls. When we had church over there in the dome, we used to talk about behind the 45 walls. <laughs> The ecclesia is not silent. It's vocal. It's aggressive. But it's really hard for you to be a part of that when you don't show up for the meeting. I'm about to enter into what I call meddling waters. <laughs> Somebody gave me the gift of meddling. Hallelujah. Look at somebody say, he's anointed to metal. What is the church? What are we called out of and into? We're called out of darkness into his light. Praise God. Aren't you glad you're out of the darkness? We're called out of impotence and into power. We're called out of sin into righteousness. We're no longer sinners saved by grace. We are saints, amen? We were given his righteousness. Aren't you glad that he paid the price for it? We're called out of defeat into victory. He always leads us in triumph. We're called out of strife and into love. And we're called out of despair into hope. But watch this. If you claim Jesus, but you're out of church, you're still in darkness. If you're saved, but you're still out of church, you're still impotent. If you're a Christian, but you stay out of church, you're still in sin. Because you're commanded not to avoid church. See, let me just define sin for you. When he tells you to do something, you don't do it, that's sin. When he tells you you're not doing something you should be doing, right, that's what? That's sin. If you are out of church, you're still in defeat. If you're out of church, you're still in the world. If you're out of church, you're still in strife. And if you're out of church, you're never going to have a hope-filled life that God wanted you to have. God never designed for you to live this life by yourself. Amen. The church provides several powerful things, and I want you to meditate on these. First of all, it provides a covering for you and me. Do you know there are things that you would not go through if you had been in the covering and under the covering? Do you know that there is power and protection in that covering? It's important for everybody to have a local body to connect to because we're covered by those anointings and the power of God that flows in that particular assembly. It's also a place where we have a corporate anointing, which means revelation and power flow when we're together in a unique way that you can't experience just on your own. I could be preaching right now, Mary had a little lamb and you could get a life-changing revelation. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the true teacher of the church. We're just as mouthpieces. And some of us are mouthier than others. (laughs) But I inherited it. I came by it honestly, so. It's a community where there's fellowship and care. I've watched one thing happen in this church over the years we've been here. And whenever there has been a crisis or there's been a loss of life, there has been someone in grief. I've seen this church stand up in a way like I've never seen a lot of churches do. And you don't want to go through things by yourself. You know, I'm I'm broken hard today and sad, and I'm going to miss him beyond comprehension. I mean, some people have... You know, sperm donors for dads. I had a real dad. You understand what I'm saying to you? A real man of God. And uh, but I'd hate to think that I didn't have a church looking out for me and reaching out to me. I'd hate to think that no one was praying for me and going through this by myself. I don't feel that way because I've watched it time and time and time again. People in this church know how to stand and they know how to pray. Amen. That's when you're a part of it. I've had to bury people that weren't a part of it. I've had people call me on the phone and say, my boyfriend OD'd on cocaine. Could you do the funeral? I said, I'll come and I'll preach salvation. I'll preach the message of God, but I can't go to that gravesite and tell the world a lie to them. You understand what I'm saying to you? One of the saddest things is to go through a time like this and not have a church or a ministry team to call upon. That wasn't the choice of that church or that ministry team. That was the choice of the individual or family. It's so important that you have a community, to have fellowship and have care. Say it with me, a covering, a corporate anointing, a community. Number four, a company where we can take the mission of God and share it and carry it out. We can't accomplish the work of God by ourselves. It takes every gift, it takes every part supplying what God has given that part to make this thing work. And God has a place for everybody. We're a company, which means we get our orders from the head, don't we, church? And we carry them out. Our part of that involves this part of this country. I I still believe that God's hand is resting heavy on Kentucky. We're going to see the greatest outpouring we have ever seen. Are you ready for it, church? That's our part, to be ready for that, whatever that means in terms of outreach, in terms of discipleship, but God's getting ready to do something this nation has never seen before. So don't pay attention to all the naysayers telling you our our best days are behind us as a nation. You're about to see the greatest move of God this nation has ever seen, ever, more souls, amen, more baptisms in the Spirit, more healings, more miracles, more signs, more wonders, He's been preparing churches like ours and across the country to get ready, be in position to bring that harvest in. And number five, we have a course, a collective direction and heading. There's nothing worse than finding out the church to some people is just having potlucks once a month. They got the potluck ministry. And the salmonella ministry that goes with the potluck. God help us, amen. Amen we all churches gathered, having a song, service, and a sermon, and a, and a meal together. My, my former so, superintendent of Kentucky, he went home to be with the Lord just a, a few weeks ago. He's the same age as, as my dad and a precious man and very similar in spirit and uh, he was doing a communion service at a district council meeting, and I was there that morning, and we shared, council, we shared communion together, and he preached a wonderful message, and here's what he said. He said, you know, we're called to reach people. We're called to evangelize people. We're called to be on a heading to, to, to win people to Christ. And he said to all these preachers, if you're not going to win souls, just go out and pump gas. <laughs> he came back later on and apologized for that. I, I thought he never should have apologized for it, because I think we needed to hear that. Look at somebody and tell them, let's go win souls. That's our heading. That's our direction. The question is, if a church is lifeless, capital C, if the ecclesia is not on fire for God, how in the world can we fan the flames for spiritual revival in this nation? Here are some of the attitudes that have hindered the church in the the western part of of the world. Some folks say, I don't need to attend church all that much because I get my spiritual food online or through broadcast media. Well, that's great you're being fed. But what about everybody else? Amen. I'm great we have the technology, especially when COVID broke out. We didn't skip a beat because we had been pioneering this and working on this for years. And so when it happened, we could do it. But it was never designed to be a replacement for flesh and blood participation in a local church. Man, when you're sick, you're sick. When you're working, you're working when you're traveling. Thank God it's great. You know, times we go on vacation, I can, you know, open that up and, and watch my son preach. Amen. He's a phenomenal teacher and preacher of the word of God. Amen. Or I can watch Wilma or Rodney teach the Word of God. Amen. It's a blessing. But some people have replaced that for a real life and community experience. Doesn't work. Amen. I don't know about you, but that, that computer can't really pray for you. No, that computer can't hold your hand or hug you. No, huh? It's reflected in an attitude where people say, I don't need to go to church because I can commune with God and nature on my own. Great. Listen to all the eyes I can commune with him. Others have the attitude, well... As a family, I need to put my family first, and they emphasize every other kind of activity and pursuit other than spiritual education in the name of putting the family first. That's your problem. Your family shouldn't be first. God should be first. Come on, say it. God should be first in my life. It's reflected by the one who points to their hurts and their disappointments and their needs as an excuse to be absent from church. Listen, if all of us walked out the door and never came back because we've been hurt, no one would be here. So, what makes you so special? But my hurt is special. That's my attitude. Have me on a little set. The Heinzes are pretty opinionated people. That's my attitude when it comes to immigration. I see the open borders on the south and I see people coming in and I ask myself, why are they so special but my ancestors had to come through legally? Are you here? Inquiring minds want to know. Yes, they do. So what makes you so special you got hurt so you can just disobey Jesus? It doesn't say forsaking the assemblies of yourselves as is the manner of some, but you can do so if you're hurt. Moving right along, I'll take that holy grunt as an amen today. It's reflected in church workers who only show up to church when they're scheduled to serve, teach, lead, or play. Well, I got an usher, so I guess I go to church. I'm scheduled to play the drums or the bass, I better go to church. They scheduled me with the dirty diapers and the babies today, so I better go. See, it's all in your attitude. You should be in church whether you're serving or not. Amen. 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 And you can pick up those little babies and pray in the Holy Ghost over them and bless them. And they'll be champions for Jesus one day. That's all in the attitude. It's all in the perspective. It's reflected by parents who teach their children by ungraciously and habitually leaving church after church that the church is fatally flawed and the people don't deserve your presence. And then they get to be 22, 25, they want nothing to do with church. And you go, I wonder what happened. We raised them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You raised them in the nurture and admonition of 55 different churches. And I'll just have an altar call right there. Amen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) It's reflected in people who pursue amusement, recreation, and entertainment to the detriment of their spirituality and places of worship. We have parents that think, well, it doesn't make any difference if they're involved in Sunday school or the kids involved in youth because their soccer program is really important. My kid is going to be a professional soccer player one day. Do you know that only 1.9% of college soccer players ever turn pro? But your little Johnny, if he just keeps kicking, he's going to be a pro. He has a 1.9% as a college student of being a professional soccer player. And the stats are even more ridiculous when it comes to the NFL and Major League Baseball. But he's going to have a 100% chance he'll stand before Jesus one day. Yes. Yes. 100% chance he will stand before the Lord. And what do you emphasize? Well, uh, My child doesn't mind. I go to that church. And she's laughing because she knows how that worked out for us. Four little ducks sitting in the Lutheran church. Not a peep. <laughs> it was not. Let's go to church if you want to go to church. Let's go to youth group if you want to go to youth group. Let's go to Sunday school if you want to go. To... No, 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 no. I give my mom and dad great credit. They were the parents, and we were the kids. Today, even in church, you have parents who will let their kids choose their spiritual participation or not. Now, I would be a lousy pastor if I didn't point out that that is wrong-headed thinking. Because when little Johnny or Mary says, I don't want to go to school, what do you say? Watch this. You're going to school whether you like it or not. How many were raised to hear that? You're going to school. But I got to tell me, I don't care you're going to school. Well, I, I can't hear anything. My head's stopping. I don't care. I'm barely conscious. Don't care you're going to school. <laughs> Fast forward today to the modern church. Well, it's youth group tonight or Sunday service. Well, I, I don't want to go. Okay. What did you just tell that child? I'm not here to offend you. You just told that child that... Natural education is more important than their spiritual education. Only by the grace of God will that person be interested in spiritual things in the future. I don't want to make them mad at me, pastor. My mom never cared about that. (laughs) Why do you think your child is called to be your buddy instead of your child? Pastor just needs to move on. Amen. Why do we gather? In light of these attitudes, why do we gather? Come on, shout that out. Why do we come to church? Say it again. Why do we gather? We go back to this scripture in Hebrews 10 24 and 25, and look at it very carefully, and you'll find the answer. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You will hear people say this, and I know where their hearts are, and I understand what they're saying, but they'll say, we go to church to worship God. And that would be partially true. Another group would go, well, we go to church so we can hear the Word of God, know what God's thoughts are, what His principles are. Yes, but that's not the whole truth, and that's not the main reason. Other people say, we go to fellowship with each other and have community. That's important, but that's not the main reason. If it were, it would appear in this Scripture as the main reason. But the main reason, according to Scripture, is we gather to spur one another on to love and good works. And that word spur literally means to stir up, to provoke, to poke them until they do. You're supposed to come to church so you can poke somebody. I can worship God at home, I can read the Bible at home, but I have to come to church to poke you. and prompt you and provoke you. Some of you are thinking right now, you're doing a great job of provoking me. (laughs) So when you take any other line of reasoning or thinking or thought about church and why you come here, you're missing the whole point. We're supposed to come to spur one another on and you can't spur when you're not here. Spur them on to love and good works. The love of God. The purpose of the church. So how are we doing? How great is the level of love and how great is the level of service? We can tell how well we're doing, provoking each other, if the love is not great and the service is not great. Yeah, come and enjoy the presence of God. Come and enjoy the word of God. Come and enjoy the fellowship. But the main reason you're here is to help somebody else cross the line. When you find them beat up, like on the road to Jericho, make make sure that you see that and do something about the people that are hurting inside as well as out. This is what the Word of God says. Come on, say it. The Word of God says says, the reason we go to church is for love and to spur others on the good works. works. Plain and simple. And you can't do that if you're not here. You can show me how you can spur one another on the love and good works. In your absence, I'm all ears. But one day... You're the one and needed to be undergird and supported. And another day, you're there to support and undergird somebody else. A lot of ministry takes place on a platform. Yes, that's true. But the most of the ministry that takes place in a church has nothing to do with a platform. It's conversations and prayers and encouragement and meals and people standing with each other and calling each other. A lot of ministry goes on. It has nothing to do with the formal service because we are spurring one another on. To love and good works. Look at somebody and tell them, be spurred. spurred. We're obviously not done yet. Amen. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you what? Love one another. The love command was not about telling people, you don't have to repent because what you're doing is okay because Jesus loves you, you know. The love command was given to the church. And the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The love in good works. And here's the thing the scripture says, the closer we get to the end times, the better we should be doing at this. And the exact opposite is happening unplugging from the church all over the country when they should be plugging in to spur one another on to love and good works. The love and the service should be growing the closer we get. And I believe that it will in Jesus' name. You say why? Because I believe we get what we preach. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just confess that I excel in love. I excel in spurring others on to good works. In other words, if you're not walking in love and you're not serving, you need some spurring. You need a switch, a leather belt, moving right along, a cattle prod. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> now, just, just a word about Hypocrites. I'll tell you one thing, I am not going to church with all those hypocrites. The first time we did Heaven's Gates and Hill Slames in Hopkinsville, Lee Bevel, one of our members, had a son. He was probably four or five years old. And one of the lines in the drama, Satan says, Hypocrites, I love hypocrites. The implication is that hypocrites help me do my job by pushing other people out the door, because people don't want really to go to church when there's hypocrites there. So Jonathan, that's what his name was, wasn't it, Kelly? Jonathan would just reenact these scenes. He's playing the devil. Hypocrites! I love hypocrites. <laughs> I love hypocrites. <laughs> Not going to church with hypocrites, Rodney. Not going to do it. But you will go buy gas from them. You'll go to Kroger with them. You'll go to Walmart with them. You'll go to the $5,000 stores around here with them. You'll go out to eat with them. They'll be vacationing in the same place with you. And you don't care. But all of a sudden, when it comes to church, I'm not going to be with those hypocrites. Let me help you out here. They're everywhere. I don't get to disobey Jesus because of hypocrites. I just don't. Because I don't serve the hypocrites. I serve who? I serve the Lord. That's the problem here. We only seem to mind them at church. The command to go to church didn't come from the hypocrites. It came from whom? <laughs> Came from the Lord. So look at somebody smile real big, like a big old Cheshire cat, and say, You know what? He just took away your excuse to hypocrites. You know what I'm saying. Some of y'all are married to hypocrites. You got hypocrite kids. You got hypocrite dogs. Our poodle started this scene now when I walk up to Kelly at night when she's sitting on the love seat, on the love seat with the dog and I just come near her. I'm like, what? I I buried princess in the backyard. I told the dog the other day, there's room for you too. So I come downstairs last night, Tammy's sitting in the kitchen, and guess what? The dogs in our lap like this. I just love Tammy. I just love Tammy. I, love Tammy. <laughs> I go up to Kelly. <laughs> I was about to perform a poochie exorcism the other night. Come out. It's crazy. <laughs> Skipping church is the most selfish thing a Christian can do. Just selfish. I thank God for the care that that, uh, my dad got. Um, ER was overstaffed the other day, so a paramedic was there. Um, Did his intake and took care of him. Had a fabulous hospitalist doctor. uh, Wonderful nursing staff. CCU was just off the hook. My family knows this is true. They were wonderful people. But could you imagine if the emergency room only opened up once a month? Transfer this modern church mentality to a hospital and what do you have? A lot of dead people. What if the construction crew just showed up like once every month or two times a month? How long would it take to build that library annex uptown? Forever. Forever. What if the teachers in the public schools only came once or twice a month? How well educated would our kids be? Think about it. What if 911 only worked randomly and you never knew when it was going to work? Can you see this? You can't build anything with that level of faithfulness. And what we've got is not earthly or carnal, it's eternal. If any institution should be the paragon of faithfulness in this time, it should be the local church. Amen. 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 Look at somebody say, I say, hypocrites. I love, love, love hypocrites. <laughs> and say, what do you do about this? It's real simple. If, if any of those attitudes I mentioned have seeped into your thinking, repent. Yes. Change your mind with corresponding behavior. Repent. You need to be in the house of God. Now, we realize here that we're not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> but everybody needs to find somewhere that they can be part of and plug in, and plug in with everything you got. Amen. I mean, uh, you know, there's some strange people in our body. I enjoy it myself. I told you this story. The person who built the majority of this building, contractor in town, he, he actually he said, "Okay." Uh, he goes, "I, I heard y'all had, had you know changed the name from the nomination name, First Assembly, to Hope Harbor Church." He goes, "He goes, if we'd done that in our church, such and such a church, it'd just split that thing right down the middle." He goes, "I am intrigued. How in the world did you manage to do that?" I said, well, first of all, we got a focus group together, about 22 different people from different denominational backgrounds. They're on church. It's very diverse. And they picked the name Hope, and they, of course, put together with Harvard. That's how that happened. And he said, well, did you vote on it? I said, yeah. I said, there were one or two people that didn't like it because they kind of wanted to stick to some of the old tradition. He said, but it was overwhelming by like, like 99% approved. <laughs> and this man's a, you know, a dick and on search committee for a pastor, and he was holding the phone like this, and he goes, well, I'll be blankety-blank. <laughs> and I just was quiet. <laughs> and he was just stunned that a group of people could just find the mission of God. Amen. So we're not everybody's cup of tea, but we're somebody's cup of tea. We're for serious tea drinkers. <laughs> serious tea drinkers. <laughs> Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and tell him repent. Number two, return. Make a quality decision of dedication that you are plugging in all the way into love and service. All the way. In these last days, that's what we need. And number three, recommit to being a part of building the kingdom through that love and through those good works. Simple, repent, return, and recommit. Say it with me, repent, return, recommit. Say again, repent, return, and recommit. Now, you can only be responsible for you. But when you do come through these doors, remember, when you go out of these doors, there go the finest ministers in Murray, Kentucky. When you come in these doors, you're here to spur one another on to love and good works. Well, I don't particularly like that style of music, I prefer a pipe organ. Pastor, I would really like it if you would integrate the tambourine. Ain't going to happen here. Tambourine is an invention from hell. Well, let me say this. If Anna will play it, I'll let her. But you white people aren't getting a tambourine in this church. There's no way we're giving you a tambourine. This is a day. I mean, you hit every beat and beats that don't even exist. It's too cold, it's too hot, it's too this, it's too that. That stuff doesn't matter at all. Because the only reason we come is to what? Spur one another on to love and good works. And you don't have to have your pet music. You don't have to have your pet temperature. You don't have to have your way to spur one another on to love and good works. Just show up loving on people and spurring each other on. You may come across somebody and they just, they just feel like quitting. You know, they just want to throw everything down. And you happen to walk by them, by the Spirit of God. A word of knowledge comes to you and you help them and you love them and you minister to them. You just change their life. Seems very passive and not very substantial, but that was for them. I believe, Brother Copeland preached for years, one word from God can change your life forever. One word in time, in season can absolutely dramatically change your life. Amen. So say it will be I'm returning to Jesus, to the Word, and to the church in Jesus' name. Come on, stand and give him a big hand clap if you can receive that today.